Leor, how's it going? Not great. <laughs> yeah, a rough, t- uh, rough game two for the Raptors. Uh, we brought you on to talk about just kind of the series as a whole, and we'll try not to have too much recency bias in the second game, but I think just fans in general want to focus more on that game, and particularly Raptors fans. So I guess what through two games just jumps off out the page at you? Uh, I, I'll just ask you to hold off on Nurse for now. That's a topic later. But, <laughs> but other than that, what jumps off the page at you? I mean, I think it's got to be Kawhi Leonard, right? The Sixers, even tonight, we saw I mean, they have no answer for him. He shot 13 of 24 from the field. Um, and they just really, Simmons is a little better on him than Butler, clearly, but especially if you get him in switches, um, just attacking and really getting whatever he wants on offense. So, I mean, obviously the easy thing is to overreact to losing, especially at home in the playoffs, but you do see Kawhi Leonard is just unstoppable and often the best player in the series wins. So, um, yeah, just to watch for how they use him and um, especially getting him in switches is probably my number one thing. Yeah, that's he has played phenomenal so far. He goes 16 for 23 in game one and then goes 13 of 24 with 35 points in game two. Particularly in the fourth quarter, he was just opening up everything, got Lowry a couple of really good looks from three that brought the game into striking distance when it seemed like Philadelphia was kind of going to run away and hide there early in the fourth quarter. He's been absolutely spectacular, as we've seen in the first two games. Um, He's really been the only Raptor that I think, in accumulation of the two games, has kind of overplayed his expectations. Everyone else, it feels like, is either playing at at what we would expect from them or a little bit below. Would you agree with that? Um, Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, Siakam had, like, a great game one, and then obviously... um... He was kind of slow tonight. Like, he finished with 21-8 and eight in Game 2, but he was still not really um, the player we've seen. He was a little hesitant attacking um, Embiid, especially when they had him on. And um, he finished 9 for 25, so obviously he's um, he that kind of balances out with, like, his hot 12 for 15 in Game 1. Um, but, yeah, in general, like, Lowry's been... Lowry, but not like spectacular or anything. And Gasol's been great defensively, but not um, not lighting the world on fire, obviously. Um, yeah, so I kind of agree with that. A couple, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the bench and um, just the bench and Danny Green have been kind of um, below expectations. Yeah, that's certainly right. Uh, Pascal Siakam, the the switch by Brett Brown to put Joel and beat on Pascal was really a smart decision. It's something that I thought that they might go to at one point after game one. Um, I'm surprised they started out with that. I thought that they would maybe switch to that if Pascal continued to burn them. They went to that right away in game two, and it really works well because what you have is Joel's so big that he closes the ground on Pascal very fast, so he's able to sag off him from really anywhere. And Pascal, for all the strides he's made as a shooter in the corner, he still is really struggles to hit that shot from above the break if he has any kind of contest. And Embiid is so large that he's able to contest it from far away. And without a real mid-range pull-up game to go to, Embiid just sags off him, invites Pascal to kind of attack him into the paint, and then makes his play. I think 
that's something to watch kind of going forward in this series is how are the Raptors able to take advantage of MB guarding uh, Siakam? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, as you said, he doesn't have that pull-up mid-range game yet, so um, so that's not really a way he's going to attack. And then he doesn't feel comfortable taking the three every time, especially if he catches it kind of on a live dribble instead of um, a chance for a catch-and-shoot. And then you see kind of this hesitancy, and then when he does drive, Embiid is so huge, and that's obviously his strength, protecting the rim. Um so, yeah, I mean, maybe they'll look for some off-screen action because Embiid obviously sags off a lot because he wants to protect the rim. So maybe they'll screen him, um, set some back screens or just anything to um, get Siakam kind of free in the corner, especially where he obviously thrives is over 40% for the season. Right. It's kind of similar to what you'll see teams do to Giannis where they put a center on Giannis and kind of invite him to try to attack and shoot jumpers and Pascal obviously isn't quite the player Giannis is, so it's a little bit more effective, but it's very similar in the way that you're just stopping pretty much any shots at the rim with a guy who's big enough and mobile enough to keep with him. What I'd like to see is a, a few more kind of involving Pascal as the pick man in the pick and roll. I know he's not a great screener, but to me you just have to get Embiid out there and allow him, or even better than that would be allow him to be kind of the handle or the point on it and have Lowry setting screens um, on Embiid and see how that works, maybe some dribble handoffs. Another thing that has really shocked me is with Tobias Harris on Marcus Hall, they've been really unwilling to go to Mark in the post. They continue to work him out of the high post, and I know he's not a strict post-up player, but Gasol does have a decent game down there. It's not like you're feeding Surge, and I'd like to see them try to attack Harris a little bit more in the post. Uh, what do you think about that, or do you kind of disagree? Um, yeah, I think first the Giannis comparison was really, is a really accurate comparison because I'm not sure if it's still the case now, but at one point they were the two, um, number one scorers in the paint in the playoffs. And we see kind of, obviously Giannis is the better player, but we see some parallels in their game. And now we're seeing parallels in how they're guarded. So, um, so yeah, I would agree. Like putting him in pick and rolls is the way Giannis would, um, would kind of overcome that defense. And, they should do the same with Pascal. And then um, in terms of your second point, yeah, I would agree. Like, I don't think they really want to change their offense to the point where they're posting up Gasol that much, but I do think he can be efficient in that way. And, um, and yeah, I think at least I kind of said on a, um, the South of the Six podcast before this series, like one of the keys will be attacking Harris, basically, no matter who he's guarding. So when he was guarding um, either Siakam or if they were going to hide him somewhere else, I think that was definitely a matchup to attack. And even with Gasol, like Harris is not a good defender, but also he just has four inches on him and a lot of weight. And Gasol is a skilled player. And even if he doesn't look to score, just to draw that help and you've got shooters all around him, that would be like a really good way to attack them. Well, and Gasol was getting hard double teams, so... Whether he can or can't attack Harris in the post, I guess, is almost irrelevant because when you see those hard doubles coming, it just sets up the offense so much better. So that's something that, and again, tiptoeing around, I don't want to get into nerfs yet, but that's something that I expect to see as an adjustment I at least hope to see. I thought in game two here when Harris had four fouls, they decided not to attack him, which I think was a real big mistake. And he was on the court in the third quarter with like five minutes remaining uh, with four fouls there and the 
you know, to not attack him. I understand you don't want to just totally gunk up your offense attacking one player, but there's a middle ground where you don't solely seek him out, but you're still attacking the weak defender on the court. And I think that the Raptors have kind of had a hard time walking that line so far this series. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, you could say the same about Reddick, right? Like they started doing it towards the end and it was very successful where the Sixers, they were basically having Danny Green screen for Kawhi with, um, with Simmons on him. And the Sixers were trying to kind of hedge and make sure that Simmons stays on him. But Kawhi kind of figured out, um, to reject the screen, meaning like dribble towards the screen and then crossover away from it. And Simmons was kind of getting lost there and, Kawhi was getting to the basket, kicking it out for good looks for um, Siakam and Lauer near then. Um, so yeah, definitely attacking Harris and um, and also with uh, Redick. Just those are like the worst defenders on the Sixers, especially since they have so many plus defenders. And you really want to go at those two guys. And I'd also say, even in the pick and roll, you can attack Harris with Gasol as the screener. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. I think. You don't necessarily have to go to the player they're guarding if you want to try to attack those players defensively. Sometimes it's as easy as just involving them in the action, and you know that's something that we see teams do a lot when they have weaknesses on the court. And I would like to see the Raptors kind of move towards that. Another area where the Raptors have been killed in both games, but particularly in the second game, is on the glass. 53 to 36 rebound advantage for the 76ers. What do you think the Raptors need to do? Kind of. I mean, obviously. It's as simple as boxing out as part of it, but what else can they do kind of to limit that advantage for Philadelphia? I know you didn't want to get into nurse, but I mean... Um, let's get into it. You know, let's just start yeah. it. <laughs> let's not be around the bush. I mean, just playing Marcus Gasol at the same time as Embiid. Like, I tweeted this in the first half of game one, like, just a few minutes in, like, Ibaka can't guard this, um, Embiid, and he's just so much bigger. He's... I think five inches taller, like seven two to six nine, and just way, way heavier, stronger, and you're basically just giving up all the size. So you kind of have to match Embiid's minutes with Gasol. Embiid only played 32 minutes today. He's not playing high minutes. He, we obviously know about his injury issues and his stamina a little bit. So Gasol can play those, those minutes, and you're pretty much you have to match those two. And then otherwise, I, I think they kind of. They leak out a lot in transition, especially um, they want to get Pascal running the break and Danny sometimes. And I think they just kind of need to, even though you don't want to give up those transition chances, I think you kind of have to protect the defensive boss. We saw, we see a lot of teams like even Orlando in the last round that just um, they don't leak out in transition because they really care about the defensive boss. And I think that's what the Raptors need to do at least a little bit more where um kind of that gang rebounding where Danny has to kind of drop in and the guards have to help out. And obviously um, the bigger players, Siakam, Kawhi, Gasol, and Ibaka when he's on the floor need to um, need to box out and have at least the guards in there to chase the rebounds. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I kind of tweeted that out after game one. I thought that I'd be willing to give up a couple of transition looks here for the opportunity to slow them down on the offensive glass because – it's getting really bad, and that's a large source of Philadelphia's offense, who they've struggled to s- score in both games so far. They scored 94 points in the second game and 95 in the first. So if you're able to at least close off the valve of offensive rebounding for them, I don't know how they continue to get those points. And 
if you can hold a team to 85, 84 points in a series, it's a, it's really hard to lose that. So I would be willing to kind of get rid of a few transition points if it meant that we can secure the offensive glass better. I think it's something where you're right, it needs to be boxes, boxing out by the larger players and then the rest of the group kind of team rebounding. Um, at least to your point a little bit, I will say Greg Monroe was a bigger threat on the offensive glass just in this game than Joel Embiid was. So that was <laughs> Greg Monroe, the return of Greg Monroe comes 10 <laughs> points, four of seven. And I don't think that there was anybody harsh on Greg Monroe's play than me. So a little bit of crow for me to eat here because, you know, we can make a lot of jokes about him and talk about how he'll never do it again. But that one game for them was really big. And he's, you know, whether he's healthy or not, Assuming he's healthy for games three and four, he's a huge advantage over Boban for them. Yeah, definitely would agree. And um, but at the same time, yeah, like the same thing we talked about with Harris, you can attack Monroe um, defensively and kind of run him off the floor and um, and force them to either go to Bolden or something else. But yeah, basically, um, I'd agree. Like Monroe did a good job, but he's still. Not a very good player, and um, and Ennis, I'd say the same thing. I mean, he had 13 points, hit a couple threes, and I don't expect those repeat performances, but at the same time, you can't really expect to contain Embiid and Simmons every time the way they did tonight. So it kind of, there's a give and take, right? And there's some positive regression and negative regression for, for all the players, right? So you have to see, but... I do think they did a good job defensively, even though they struggled on the glass. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I would agree with that. Um, I mean, Philadelphia scored 94 points, and I wasn't able to get the advanced box score to check their offensive rating. But I can't believe it's over 100. It seemed like there was a decent amount of um, possessions in this game. And, you know, Philly shot under 40% from the field. They turned it over 19 times. Defensively, you pretty much did your job. Yeah, you had Greg Monroe, like you said, have a great game. Uh, James Ennis had a pretty good game, but other than that, I mean, you look Joel Embiid twelve points, Ben Simmons six points, Tobias Harris nine, Jimmy yeah. Butler dropped thirty, but it was on nine of twenty-two shooting. It didn't feel like he shot forty percent from the field. It seemed like he made a lot more just because of that fourth quarter. But overall, defensively, I don't think they had a problem. Really, it just came on the offensive end and failing to attack mismatches that they saw, and you know. They also didn't shoot the ball well. I don't. Part of that is I think Philly's a really long team and is doing a pretty good job at contesting threes. But part of that is I think they're just going to hit more shots as the series goes on. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I said this in the first half too. Like they were just missing open threes and they made some more in the second half. But really, I mean, even the last play of the game, right? It's a wide open three for Danny Green. He's hit huge shots all year and he missed it. And um, he missed at least one more in the first half. Like. Siaka missed an open three, Gasol missed like a semi-contested three, like Ibaka, I mean, he's not a good shooter, but still like he makes the wide open ones occasionally and he missed it. So you shoot 10 of 37 from three. I mean, you're probably going to expect to shoot a little better. Um, Philly also shot 10 of 35 from three, but they're not a good shooting team, right? Like they really just have Redick in terms of like elite or like well above average shooters, right? Uh, I would say Harris is a well above average shooter. He was shooting uh, pretty high for LA on some difficult yeah, looks, but yeah. But just, you're right. Um, just Toronto, since the trade, since the trade, I think he's shooting like 32 percent from three. I don't. I can pull up the numbers. Here. Just yeah. like yeah, he is a good shooter in general. I got what you're saying. 
Um, but but Toronto's the better shooting team, and you don't expect them to shoot that poorly. Um, let's just go ahead and get into the full Nick Nurse conversation. <laughs> and I, I'll say this because, you know, sometimes I think on Twitter it gets kind of this echo chamber of everyone getting mad. The one thing I'll say before the crap fest, and it will be a crap fest, but the one thing I'll say is everyone's upset at Serge and Fred getting a lot of minutes to start the fourth. I will say on Nurse's behalf that, you know, Kawhi played 41 minutes, Pascal played 40, Kyle played 42. He got, you know, five total points from his bench. At some point, you can't play the starters 48 minutes. Yeah. And he didn't have a ton of good options. Everybody played really poorly off the bench. And your rotations look a lot worse when everybody comes in and just kind of craps a bed. <laughs> With that being said, it's the rotations so far this series have been really bad. Not matching Embiid on Gasol is, like, that's a basic decision to me. That's not something where, you know, Absolutely. you can have a debate about it. I don't understand why. And, you know, I looked up their stats after game one. And so, hold on one second. So with Gasol on the court in game one, 16.6 minutes, three points, one of eight shooting, four rebounds. Gasol, for Embiid, with Gasol on the court. Gasol Mm -hmm. off the court, he scored 13 points, four of 10 shooting, four of four from the free throw line with a true shooting percentage of 55.3 compared to 16.9 with Gasol on the court. I don't know how you could have watched that game, saw those <laughs> results, and then decided not to match their minutes. Um, I guess I'll just pose the question to you. Do you think that he's going to match their minutes in Game 3, or will it still be the same old stubborn rotations? I, I Honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, like, like, you just listed it, right? Like, you would think there's no possible way he could... Um, he could not match their minutes tonight after seeing what happened in game one. And Ibaka was a little better. I give him credit. He was a little better in the second half of game one. Um, but mostly that was not against Embiid. Mostly that was kind of as a rim protector against those smaller lineups. And he did, like, he battles Embiid, especially when Embiid is fatigued. But there's really no excuse. It's just Gasol's obviously a better matchup for it. And like I said, like Embiid's not playing high minutes. Like Gasol played more minutes than him tonight. And it's just, it's kind of inexcusable. I mean, I think kind of what makes elite coaches elite is how they not only adjust in the playoffs, but they anticipate what's going to be an adjustment, right? Like we saw Brad Stevens. I kind of make fun of him a bit, but for being overrated, but he's a great coach. And he started Marcus Morris yesterday because he knew Aaron Baines is not going to give them anything on offense, and they couldn't afford to start the two-big lineup, um, Boston against Milwaukee. And you kind of see Nurse, like, he should have anticipated this. Everyone knew about Brett Brett Brown's rotations and that he likes to pull Embiid early. And I think it's more important to match up with that and to already be ready to do that because you know that's what's going to be most effective. And it's not like Gasol won't be effective because he's coming out of the game early, right? He'll still be the same player, and if you can match him up on Embiid, that's, like, the most important thing. And, yeah, I do agree with your point. Like, when you look at the total minutes numbers, like, they couldn't have really played the starters much more. Maybe Danny Green a bit, but 32 is kind of, like, where he usually maxes out um, if he's going to play higher minutes. 
I think maybe just like playing Norman Powell over Van Vliet might have helped. Like Fred Van Vliet was terrible tonight. And yeah, I mean there it's it's easy to overreact, but he did like I think he did just extend the bench too much and it kind of when they made that comeback and they cut the lead to one, you kind of you have to kind of roll with it for a little bit and at least get somewhere with it and kind of use all your timeouts and get them breaks when they need it and just try to extend the starters as much as possible, especially with two days off coming up. Um, I, I would push back a little. I think Fred was better defensively than he was given credit for tonight. He had a couple good heads-up plays with his hands and made a couple deflections. I thought he was a little bit better on that end. Um, his presence as a shot maker, I think, is a little bit stronger than Powell, so he spaces the floor a little bit better. I, to me, that's six, one, half dozen, another. I don't think that there's a huge advantage there. But you're right as far as just I don't know if the change is going to happen here. And I'm one of the more frustrating points is I think if you're going to match up Serge Ibaka versus Greg Monroe, Greg Monroe, I think he's just as good of a matchup there. So you're getting – it's not like, you know, you're trying to keep Gasol on the floor for those backup center minutes so he can feast in there and you can build up a nice cushion. I, I think Serge would be just as effective in those backup center minutes and is obviously less effective going against Joel. Yeah, and also, like, Gasol isn't a Jonas Valanciunas type who's – I mean, he maybe used to be a little bit. Like, he was, like, a 15 to 19-point scorer in Memphis, but he's not that player anymore. He's not – looking for consistent, like, pick-and-rolls and post-ups for baskets. Like, he can take advantage when he has a mismatch, but he's not going after Greg Monroe and dominating that bench lineup. You're using him to kind of maximize uh, starters and to contain a feed. And if you're just going to go with Ibaka, uh, I mean, if you're just going to go with Gasol against Monroe it's, or, or whoever the backup center is, it's just kind of a waste, um, and you might as well be having Ibaka in there so that you can get Gasol those rest minutes. I mean, um, yeah, and with the point on Van Vliet, yeah, I agree. I just, I like having the length a little bit more on Redick, and the problem with Van Vliet isn't so much that he can't be, like, effective as a shooter off the ball. It's that they don't really use him as one, right? Like, when, he would, when he's in the game um, with Lowry and kind of a bench unit like Van Vliet's handling the ball and really it should be Lowry right and that's kind of a problem because Van Vliet's just not been effective at all with the ball in his hands he's been over dribbling and kind of either leading to a tough shot or just nowhere and it gets kicked back out and it gets laid in the clock so if you use Van Vliet as a shooter spotting up off the ball I like that more but if he's just going to be over dribbling and kind of trying to run the offense it's not really I'd rather just have Norman Powell because at least you know he's either spotting up or catch and drive. Yeah, you know, I think he was better about that tonight. He had he opened Lowry up, I think, twice for a couple looks. And then he had, I didn't mind his mid-range jumper earlier, but I understand yeah. that point. We also get to another nurse thing that's really bothered me is, yes, these guys need to play, but they don't need to all play together. And right. this is something where... You know, Serge Ibaka and Norman Paul, it's kind of two not great decision makers, and I think you really see it in the passing of that second unit. It's You have two guys who aren't very aware on the offensive end of the ball, and it's kind of like a cumulative factor. If you just have one of them that's kind of feeding off the other guys, that's fine. But when you have them both out there 
along with Fred, who struggles to generate offense as a point guard for others. He's more of kind of a system guy that's going to keep it plugging along. Um, I think that unit really likes ball movement, and you saw it tonight. And, you know, that's not even getting into the horrendous Jody Meeks outing that we saw. Yeah, and getting Gasol in that unit a little bit. Like, I still like, obviously, Gasol as the starter, and he's starting against Embiid, but getting Gasol some minutes with that unit when Embiid's on um, when Embiid's back on the floor, but it's against most of the Raptors bench, that can kind of get the ball moving. And then also um, getting Ibaka in early with the starters once Embiid comes out could also allow um, Ibaka to play with Lowry, who he really thrives with. And like he had the one mid-range jumper um, off a pass from Lowry. Those were his only two points. Um, getting kind of those pick and pops with Lowry could help because uh, whoever the center defender is, on the Sixers, it's usually going to be someone who drops back and isn't really guarding that pick and pop. So you get Ibaka some minutes with the starters, and he has that advantage against Monroe or Embiid, or but preferably not Embiid. No, that's a great point. Um, he's one of those what they call parasitic big, where he feeds off of other players. And I, I think that has real value if you could go ahead and pull Gasol. You know, maybe whenever Embiid gets pulled in the first half, if you can match their minutes... Um, pretty much exactly. You get Serge with the starting unit a lot, and I agree that Mark needs to be the starter, but I think you can have him be the starter while playing maybe not the majority of, but a large significant portion of his minutes with the bench and kind of being responsible for generating the offense and keeping the ball moving with the bench unit and maybe run the offense through him a little bit more. Exactly. Exactly. So what do you see kind of going forward in Game 3 here? The Raptors, you know, we're pointing out all these things that they can do differently and they lost one game by five and really had a chance to tie it. So I don't want to overreact to the game that we just watched and think that the sky's falling, but it does feel like the 76ers made a couple of, you know, really nice adjustments and Toronto's going to have to kind of counter punch back. What do you expect to see from them and what do you hope to see from them? Um, so obviously all the rotation stuff we talked about and then, um, yeah, I mean, they obviously had such a poor shooting night that I didn't think the looks were that bad all the time. I definitely think, um, getting Siakam kind of more comfortable shots and, uh, some of the stuff we talked about, um, different ways to attack and be putting Siakam in more pick and rolls on either end of it, um, could definitely help, uh, the rebounding, Obviously, um, not maybe not maybe giving up some of those transition looks just to um, just to kind of gang rebound, and I think a lot of it is about making open shots, and it's kind of annoying when people say that because like, what's the point of even analyzing it if it's just going to come down to shots? But you have to make those like wide open threes. Danny Green missed a lot of chances. Um, Jim Lowry missed a. Um, like a few early, and then he kind of uh, made those two big threes late. But yeah, if you hit, if you hit those shots, I think Kawhi started a little slow in terms of uh, reading those double teams and getting the red shots, but he kind of figured it out later. And I think if they keep generating those shots, they're going to fall, and Kawhi is just unstoppable, and they can keep attacking those weak defenders and getting the getting the right type of shots, and those will fall eventually. Yeah, I think one big thing that we saw as Game 2 progressed was Kawhi going from kind of being reluctant to attack the pick-and-rolls to really, or not the pick-and-rolls, I'm sorry, to attack double teams, 
to really feasting on them. He really, at the end of the game, was setting up everyone for open looks. And Kyle hit a couple shots and Pascal hit a shot. But it was really all based off the double of, Ka of Kawhi Leonard and how they were aggressively playing that pick and roll. Danny Absolutely. Green's got to play better, as you said. He was 1 of 8 in the second game, uh, 2 of 5 in the first, including 1 of 10 from 3 in those games combined. That just has to get better. I know, like you said, it doesn't sound great as an analyst to sit there and say, well, you know, you need to make sh shots. But at some level, everything feeds off that. And if you're not able to hit open jump shots, particularly a guy like Danny Green, then they're not going to guard you out there. And then it kind of mucks up the offense for everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I guess one point that I want to bring up here also is Kawhi Leonard didn't guard Jimmy Butler in the end of this game. What did you think of that? Uh, I, if you have Kawhi Leonard, who is touted as, you know, one of the better two-way players, and I think defensively he's not quite the player possession by possession he was during the regular, or during the regular season, he wasn't the best defender possession by possession, but it still feels like he can dial it up. Why do you think he didn't guard Jimmy Butler? And, it, you know, what was going on there? Yeah, I wasn't really thinking about it, right? Because he hasn't been guarding Butler, but yeah, I probably, I think he probably should have been on him at the end of games just because he, Simmons' best strength is transition. And that's kind of why you want Kawhi on him to limit those transition chances. And Kawhi did a great job forcing turnovers and really not letting Simmons get going. Um, and, but just at the end of games, obviously it was slowing down. There weren't many of those opportunities anyway. And Simmons is limited in the half court in that he can't shoot. They kind of have to hide him or put him in the dunker spot. And he's not really getting those opportunities. So I think they probably should have gone with Kawhi on Jimmy Butler. Why? Like, it didn't feel like Butler was having that big of a game, like you mentioned earlier. Um, and then he kind of just hit some big shots towards the end. Um, what do you think? Why do you think they didn't do it? You know, I think it's perhaps to keep him rested on the offensive end. But mm -hmm. to me, when the game's two minutes left and Jimmy Butler's, you know, made a play or scored the past three possessions, what's the point of having Kawhi Leonard if you're not going to stick him on there defensively? And we've seen Kawhi make great defensive strides uh, on Simmons on ball this game. I just, to me, you get rid of, if you don't use his defensive prowess in the late end of the game, then what's the point of him having it? And that was something that I think as we complain about Nurse in several fashions in the rotations and not attacking Tobias Harris and J.J. Redick enough, that's one that I think is kind of going to get overlooked here because that was something to me that could have slowed the Philly offense down because when you looked at the end of the game, it was really just him. I know Embiid hit that one shot there where he had a nice kind of uh, footwork play to beat Gasol. But really, it was Jimmy Butler that was doing a lot of the damage, and they stuck Kawhi on uh, Tobias Harris, actually, in the last two minutes, and that's something that was a big shock to me, and I think a mistake. Yeah, I would agree. Like, you just, and you have the defenders to handle Harris if he does end up catching the ball. Like, you can stick Siakam on Harris or Siakam on Simmons and Green on Harris, and they're not going to go to Harris at the end of the game. Jimmy's kind of their end of game closer, and it just, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Like he, you, like I get, I'm guessing they probably did it, like you said, because of fatigue. And he played, Kawhi played um 42 minutes tonight, and obviously he's probably tired. He's creating almost every shot on the offensive end, but still, like Kawhi, I think he can do it. 
it's just, and it's not like he's been guarding Butler the whole game, right? So you can kind of get him. You probably should go to him um, on Butler to kind of at least slow him down, make it more difficult for him than um, than what they were doing. Yeah, you know, he was creating all the offense there, but again, it's you know, it's the last two minutes. There's so many yeah. timeouts and different plays like that mid game that you're able to catch your break. Then that's to me again, that's one of the mistakes here. It, I'll be interested to see kind of. The change that Toronto makes coming up here for Game 2, defensively, like we said, they've been great. But also, is Nick Nurse going to try to kind of get out ahead of a couple things rather than reacting to Brett Brown's coaching performance? I think it's weird that Brett Brown is controlling a series as a coach, but so far he's kind of (laughs) coached circles around Nick Nurse. And if this was going to be the performance that you got from him, you might as well have had Casey. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I said during the game, like, this is basically all the mistakes that Casey got fired for. Like, if Nurse was a seven-year coach, like, he'd be getting the exact same buzz about being fired because, like, these are just the kind of inexcusable mistakes. Like, this is what you need in a playoff series. It's about in-game adjustments and game-to-game adjustments. And there were some adjustments they could have made from game one, um, dished off the top, like, attacking those mismatches more often, and like, they didn't play a perfect game, um, and they still could have improved, and they didn't really like, do anything that different, and then the things from game one, like, the mistakes, they continued to make them, and they kind of doubled down in the second half, continuing with the um, regular rotation, and not uh, matching Gasol's minutes with Embiid, and yeah, you really, like, I don't I don't know why he went away from the Meeks minutes in the first half and then went to him in the second. Like, it's just puzzling. <laughs> yeah, I, I have in my notes, no Meeks, thank God. And then I wrote later <laughs> in it, Meeks is on the court. That was really puzzling to me. The thing about Meeks that really bothers me in the minutes that he's playing is the fact that, you know, you had Fred Van Vliet at 18 minutes and Norman Powell at 15. You can't manage your minutes better that those guys can play six, you know, put Norman Paul on the court for 16, 17 minutes and don't get Meeks out there. That really bothers me. Um, And I mean, if Meeks is that cold and he's going to miss a wide open corner three, like perfect look, I mean, you might as well have Patrick McCaw in the game because at least he's defending like, and (laughs) I mean, neither of them can shoot. Yeah. You know, it's. That's one of those things where it's high minutes guy, low minutes guy, and if I'm going to have a guy who's only playing two minutes, I want it to be Patrick McCall because what offensive rhythm does he need to get into? And yeah. that's, you know, that stretch by Meeks, it's easy to look at the Danny Green miss three, but that uh, sequence by Meeks where he misses a wide open corner three, like really badly, really breaks it short, and then gets the ball back, has Fred Van Vliet open in the corner and can't get the ball to him. That's yeah, as critical as that was as critical as any, and I just don't understand. It would be one thing if we were playing our bench players more minutes, but Fred VanVleet's playing 18 minutes, Norman Powell's playing 15. I know those guys haven't played well, but they're better than Jody Meek, so that's something that I think is interesting to watch. It will be interesting to me if to see if you know maybe Nurse tries something even different than what we've seen if. You match Marcus All and Joel Embiid. I could, I don't expect this, but I would like to almost see Toronto go small and put Pascal at center. And if you're going to try to put Greg Monroe, if you're going to continue to put, um, 
your center on Pascal, then going small kind of just exacerbates that problem. So I would like to see us put Pascal at center to match the Greg Monroe minutes, although I don't expect to see that at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually agree. Um, I didn't really think about it now, but I did mention it on the pod before the series. Like, when Embiid's off the floor, you're not worried about their centers. Like, if they're going to post up Greg Monroe or try to attack him with size, like, go ahead, right? You're taking away your offense from your good players or your best offensive players and Butler, Harris, whoever's playing with the bench unit. And you basically, like, if you can beat them to the punch and and attack them with Siakam at center, you can get out in transition. You're not really too worried about Monroe, and and you're basically like, you can make them adjust to you. You can force them to play small, and they don't have many good guards, so they're either going to have to play their starters even more minutes or do something else, and they're kind of in trouble. Um, yeah, so I totally agree, and we've seen the Siakam at center units have success all year, and um, in like very short stretches, but still, I totally think that's like a good option, especially um, if Ibaka is struggling this badly. Well, and I think you'll be able to attack Monroe. And to me, then Philly tries to counter with two ways. They one put Boban, or they your only counter to me is then to put Boban in. And if Boban comes in, that's a win for the Raptors as a team because he just has proven he can't stay on the floor defensively versus any of the guys on the Raptors because they're able to pick and pop and, you know, he's just not able to play that game. Or two, you just, I think you can keep Siakam in to guard Boban and he can't guard him by himself. But, yeah. um, so you know, something Nate Duncan brings in, talks about all the time that if you're sending the double team right away, it doesn't matter if the post defender is that good because, you know, it's a double team. It, there's only so much that you can do. So if you're doubling with Pascal and Kawhi Leonard and just playing small around Boban, I think that you're okay as long as you're sending a hard double consistently. So that's something that I would like to see them, you know, kind of make the 76ers play to them. But again, that's not something I expect to see. Um, yeah. It, it will be interesting. Go ahead. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. And like making Boban beat you, I mean, like, go ahead, right? Like, yeah, he's efficient in whatever his minutes are, but like, he didn't do much in game one. Like, just um, pulling it up now. I mean, he. He had two points in his um, in his ten minute stint in Game One, and like you're not really worried about him, even against Siakam. Like like you said, you can bring over the double, and I think Philly would probably have to go with Bolden at center, unless they're gonna kind of go with the Simmons at center looks. But they don't have Mike Scott. We'll see if Mike Scott plays. Maybe they would go with him at center. Um, but just assuming Mike Scott is out, like they're kind of stuck playing like Bolden or like you said, like just trying to use Boban as their advantage, which I really don't think would be a smart strategy. Yeah. You know, if you have four all-stars on your team and you're going to Boban, something's probably <laughs> off there. Um, but it will be interesting to watch. Um, Mike Scott coming back for them could be proved to be really pivotal. They've won one out of two games. So it's tough to say that Toronto is in the driver's seat here, but it just feels like, from what you've seen so far, they've been the better team. And I know that they lost, but I still am very encouraged about the series. What are your overall, like, how do you stand right now? If you were picking the series, kind of predicting it now, how would you pick it? Yeah, I mean, I might have been a bit too bold picking the Raptors in five. I thought they would be a little better tonight, obviously. Um, 
that's what my original pick was. Um, but yeah, I'm still pretty confident in the Raptors. I didn't see anything from the Sixers tonight that really inspired confidence in them. I thought in the first half, like it was just some poor play and poor decision making, poor shot making from the Raptors. And then obviously they almost came back and they had a lot of chances that they blew. So I really, I still feel like the Raptors have the upper hand. Um, I wouldn't say they'll win the next three games, but I'd still probably pick them in six or seven. What do yeah, you that's that's how I'm at. I picked Raptors in five as well. I thought just the matchups that they had in this series were going to be a huge advantage. Um, I'd probably push that back to six now, but I still think, like I said, I think Toronto's outplayed them so far this series, and they had a chance to win game two, which to me was crazy considering how poorly they played and how poorly they've been coached so far. I I understand Nick Nurse has been stubborn so far, but it would shock me if he doesn't, perhaps he doesn't match them one for one, but it would really shock me if he doesn't put Marcus Hall on the court with Joel Embiid more. And, you know, at that point, it's it would really, I mean, Raptors Twitter is already going to be angry, so it will be interesting to watch. Um, I still think that Toronto's in control of this series from what I've seen, but, you know, now it's exciting, so it will be a fun game three. Um We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, Philly's crowd is going to come out strong, but if you can kind of rally and just play your game, and I think Kawhi is really good at just focusing, and I don't think the road phases him at all. Um, yeah, if you can play your game, like the Raptors continue to execute and finally get like a great shooting game from um, from some of their guys besides Kawhi, then I think they can kind of take at least one of those games and possibly both. I agree. Thanks for coming on, man. All right. Good talking to you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.